Contracting for the Climate, Global Trends. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. We'll be speaking today with Tiffany Chan. And Tiffany is a policy analyst for the LSE's Grantham Institute's Climate Change Laws of the World project. She is currently working on several projects exploring legal pathways to net zero, impacts of climate laws and corruption laws in climate action. Prior to Tiffany's role at the Grantham Research Institute, Tiffany worked in London and Hong Kong as a corporate lawyer in an international law firm. Tiffany, as many of our listeners will be aware, each year the Grantham Institute publishes its report on global trends in climate change litigation, and the latest report has been recently published. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the main trends that can be seen from that report? Good morning, both. Yes, of course. Very happy to highlight some of the key trends. First, I would say the climate litigation space continues to evolve very rapidly. So overall, we now have records of more than 2,341 cases globally, and 190 of these were actually filed in the last 12 months. And although the overall number is still growing, we think the growth rate may be slowing down. In this year's report, we've identified cases in seven new jurisdictions. Those are Bulgaria, China, Finland, Romania, Russia, Thailand, and Turkey. And this now means we've seen cases being filed in at least 51 countries, and they're all across the world. One of the interesting trends I thought I would pick out is the number of cases that have been filed against corporate actors, but also an increased diversity within such cases. So we've seen a development of much more complex legal arguments, for example, cases that bring together corporate human rights responsibilities to reduce emissions, and also arguments that they should pay for adaptation infrastructure going forward. And a good example of this is the Holson case. So this is a case that relates to Pari. It's an island in Indonesia that lies above 1.5 meters above sea level. And its islanders are taking Holson, which is a buildings materials company, to court in Switzerland. And they were requesting that the relief includes both a court order that requires companies to rapidly reduce emissions to align themselves with the Paris Agreement, but also request that the company pay a proportionate share of the cost they need to adapt that island to climate impacts. Next, I would say we've also seen a rise in litigation concerning financing and investment decisions around high-emitting activities. And these cases can help clarify the parameters of what we're trying to grapple with, what constitutes a reasonable investment strategy in the context of delivering a net zero transition. And we refer to these cases, which challenge the flow of finance to projects misaligned with climate action, as turning off the taps. So basically going to the source of where the funds are coming from. And we have seen so far 28 of these cases. Finally, as we expected, and I'm sure actually your listeners have heard of in in previous podcasts, we've really seen a huge growth in climate washing, greenwashing cases. And these challenge the corporate and governance narratives, advertising regarding their contributions to the transition and also any misinformation they're giving around climate science. You mentioned in your report that an increasing number of cases are being brought against corporate actors. And you've mentioned the various different types of claim that are being brought. Are there any particular industries that are the focus of these claims? 
That's right. Outside of the U.S., historically, we have really seen cases being filed against governments make up about 70% of the climate litigation cases. But in the last 12 months, only about 54% of these cases were filed against governments. That being said, we still have seen very high profile, important cases like government framework cases being filed, for example, for the first time in Russia, Indonesia, Sweden, and Finland. But we've also really seen a significant uptake in strategic litigation that is being brought against companies. And 2021 saw the highest number of these filed to date, with more than 30 cases that year, which made up about 30%. Within these, in terms of industries, there's still a strong focus on carbon majors, so the high-emitting oil, gas, coal companies. 59 have been filed against these companies globally. But importantly, I think more interestingly, we have seen a continued expansion of these corporate framework-style cases beyond the carbon majors. And the financial sector has some big news, high-profile examples. For example, in February this year, NGOs filed a case against BNP Paribas, and they alleged that the bank had failed to comply with its obligations under French law in order to disclose and mitigate its social and environmental impacts of its investments. We also think that part of the reason is because of that rise in, in climate washing cases, because climate washing is obviously not limited to one industry or one type of product. It goes across industry and marketing tactics apply across these. But perhaps some way to break it down as well is we've seen cases that challenge the disclosure of climate commitments, but some would look at product attributes some look at overstating your overall investments or support for renewable or climate projects, or finally, maybe just not disclosing and obscuring climate risk activities. So as attribution science develops in this era, we also anticipate more innovative legal arguments continuing to be deployed against various industries. Some really interesting trends there, Tiffany, in terms of corporate framework style cases, as you say, and then those disclosure focused cases. In terms of those trends that we see in the corporate sphere, what do you think that they might mean for our construction sector clients? So I think there are several trends that we might see appear more prevalently in the construction sector. And the first would be this continued growth in integrating climate consideration cases. And these are cases in simple terms that try to embed climate standards or climate principles into a given project division but they also try as well to mainstream more broadly climate concerns in decision-making. So you can imagine these often manifest in planning permission cases and are highly relevant to buildings and infrastructure projects. They're by far the most common strategic cases so far that we've recorded since 2015. It's about 206 cases. The second thing I would highlight is the turning off the taps cases I mentioned. These are relevant because litigants are targeting public and private financing that relates to high-emitting activities. Construction is one of these sectors. Next, I think, interestingly, in relation to big infrastructure projects in the Global South in particular, we've also noticed a trend of litigation that doesn't use climate-specific laws, but it uses pre-existing environmental regulations. And this might be because there is yet to be a climate-specific framework law or because national legal context means other means are more effective. A good way to show this is the deadly air case in South Africa. And that was the judgment was held in March 2022. 
And the applicants actually successfully challenged coal plants using the idea that the government had failed to protect people's rights to health and well-being that came out of the air pollution from the coal plant. Finally, I think as we are all based in London, we also anticipate that maybe there would be more climate washing cases in the construction sector, given the number of buildings we're starting to see, which says climate neutral, net zero, and so challenging what that really means in buildings. I think that's a really key point, Tiffany, when we think about what are these terms going to mean in future years and how are they going to be interpreted both by buyers, funders, and also the courts ultimately if those kind of cases progress through the legal system. I think related to that, one of the key points is we've seen so many regulatory developments over the past few years. So we've seen ones around mandatory due diligence and we've also seen some regulatory developments around climate washing. What do you think is going to be the influence of that kind of regulatory framework on the litigation trends that we see in the years to come? Yes. So I think due diligence regulation does really create important implications for a construction sector because of the supply chain that's involved. Where companies are not compliant or if their responses are inadequate, litigation, of course, tends to follow. And I think if we use two EU-specific examples, the first, the EU deforestation-free regulation, which is already in force, that includes rubber products. And the construction companies which use these will need to ensure that appropriate due diligence is conducted or face potential litigation. The second is the much-talked-about EU Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. And similarly, once this is passed and enforced, it's likely to have implications across the sector as supply chains face further scrutiny. As currently drafted as well, this directive may also require certain large companies to create transition plans. And the meaning of this is as yet to be fleshed out, but the adequacy of these could also face scrutiny from civil society. Taking the second issue, I think on climate washing, the influence really seems to go both ways. Like on the one hand, as I mentioned, we have seen a significant spike in these cases and think that reflects more broadly of the concerns we have around corporate accountability for climate commitments. So therefore, we see the regulators coming and, and stepping up such as the directive of green claims in the EU. But on the other hand, once more and more of these laws are in place around the world, we might also see more enforcement style actions against companies to clarify those requirements or to challenge a company's breach. Tiffany, the litigation risks are fairly wide ranging. Would you have any suggestions on how companies could try and mitigate these risks in practice? I think on due diligence, it's Really to get ahead early and trace your supply chain whilst you have the time. And it sounds very simple and very obvious, but it does take a lot of time to talk to the many different suppliers, get them to talk to their subcontractors, and then also potentially, in the worst case, renegotiate those business contracts. So I think it's to take advantage of the fact that the legislative developments are only just about kicking in and to figure out where your specific pressure points are but also to leverage, I'm sure, existing internal processes that do exist for human rights due diligence, which has been around for some time already, and to ensure that climate is well integrated in those existing processes. And then I think on climate washing, I would say, whilst it's still quite a simple one, it's really to make sure that coordination between in-house legal and marketing teams are well established on climate specifically. And I think this is because 
whilst the legal teams are the ones who are staying up to date on green claims regulations, there still needs to be an open channel for marketing to figure out how a company can find that sort of sweet spot between complying and also doing effective advertising. I think that's a really crucial point that from everything you've said, we're standing at the foothills of some really monumental change for companies. And people are really standing in that twilight moment where they still have some time to think about the things they're going to have to do and make those calculations and inquiries. But as you say, change is coming and that clock is really quickly sounding for people to do something. Appreciating we're asking for some crystal ball gazing here. What do you think are the key areas to watch in coming years? I think climate litigation trends, of course, do change, as they should, because climate policies should also change and climate laws should change, hopefully to help us improve and meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. So if this happens very quickly, so we might actually see less litigation happening, perhaps. But I think to highlight a few areas which we're still looking out for in the year to come, first of all, extreme weather events. We've started to see those in many different places around the world, and they're increasing in frequency and severity. So we might see cases increase in relation to the risks and the damages that we suffer from them, both in terms of, say, failure to adapt to such events, but also you could imagine disputes in the private arena, such as power supply contracts around the idea of force majeure and insurance claims and who's responsible. Second, Climate science also shows that decarbonization requires more than just CO2 emissions. So we need a rapid cut in non-CO2 pollutants as well. So these could be methane and hydrofluorocarbons. The latter, I believe, is used in a wide range of products also in the construction sector, such as insulation for buildings. So as the science develops and the evidence develops for legal cases, we might see different legal strategies being used to challenge these pollutants. Third of all, there are ongoing cases, very high profile ones involving requests for financial compensation, and that's compensation from high emitting corporate actors, which are based on their historic responsibility for climate change harms. So whilst these cases are at very early legal procedural stages, if they were met with success, it's likely that these types of cases would increase particularly in light of early interest in this area shown by funders of commercial litigation. The final thing I'd like to flag is that there are requests ongoing for advisory opinions from international and regional courts, such as the International Court of Justice. This looks at state obligations in relation to climate change. So the outcomes of these are really important to inform the decisions of courts around the world, but to influence also just the climate litigation strategies that people bring forward. Thank you, Tiffany. As reflected in everything you've said there, and also everything that's in the report, which we'd recommend to all of our listeners, lots has happened in the last year, but I think most importantly, there's a lot coming down the line that's going to be really important for our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tiffany, and thank you to our listeners as well. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.